Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 5th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 105 with the first paragraph, Our Loyalty and the Desire. Through We'll be reading through four paragraphs ending with Melted Like Snow in June and comments will be on all. Today's readers are Felicia D. and Jen A. Share ID for Monday, September 4th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 11,870. For the 10 a.m. meeting, the Eastern Standard Time is 11,872. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation 
to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tinson T. I will now ask Laura A. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Laura A., recovering compulsive eater in New Hampshire. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for letting me do service. I pass. Thank you, Laura. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 105, first paragraph, our loyalty and the desire. We'll be reading through four paragraphs, ending with melted like snow in June. Comments will be on all. I will now ask Felicia D. to begin reading. Hi, this is Felicia D. from Maine. Can I be heard? Yes. 
Okay. Um, hello. Good morning, everybody. And um, my name is Felicia D. And I'm recovered in Maine. Our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. We have been unselfish and self-sacrificing. We have told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husband's reputations. We have prayed, we have begged, we have been patient. We have struck out viciously. We have run away. We have been hysterical. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliatory love affairs with other men. Our homes have been battlegrounds many an evening. In the morning, we have kissed and made up. Our friends have counseled chucking the men, and we have done so with finality, only to be back in a little while, hoping, always hoping. Our men have sworn great solemn oaths, oaths that they were through drinking forever. We have believed them when no one else could or would. Then, in days, weeks, or months, a fresh outburst. We seldom had friends at our homes, never knowing how or when the men of the house would appear. We could make few social engagements. We came to live almost alone. When we were invited out, our husbands sneaked so many drinks that they spoiled the occasion. If, on the other hand, they took nothing, their self-pity made them kill boys. There was never financial security. Positions were always in jeopardy or gone. An armored car could not have brought the pay envelopes home. The checking account melted like snow in June. Um, well, this is, I have lived all of this, um, and I'm just so grateful for this meeting. I just thank everybody for, I've learned so much on this meeting. I, and what I'm going to, um, focus on our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. Um, before I came um, to this program, before I, when I was compulsively eating and um, not, not working the program, not working the steps and not abstinent, I know I continually, um, continually thought that the problem was my husband. And I was always pointing the finger, and I was knee-deep in my disease, you know, sinking. And, um, you know, falling into the comparison trap, wishing he were different, hoping you were different. And um, I remember for years I would pray, and not even knowing that I was praying, my prayers were very selfish. It was always, oh, Lord, please change me. I mean, please change my husband, change my circumstances. 
And this program has really taught me the beauty of knowing the change needed to happen in me. Um, I just didn't see it when I was in the food, when I was consuming, um, consuming just so much to, to bury my feelings. I was not living in reality. And I'm so grateful that's not the case today. Um, and when it says we prayed uh, in this first paragraph, um, that has been a lifesaver. And I'm so thankful for all the prayers that turn, you know, my diseased thinking into uh, right thinking, the prayer beautiful prayers in this big book the sick man's prayer I use it pretty much on a daily basis and especially the part um, you know God this is a sick person save me from being angry how can I be helpful to him thy will not mine be done and uh, just acknowledging that you know my Spouse is perhaps spiritually sick, just like me, uh, just like me, and to acknowledge that and um, to know that truth has really turned my life around and um, to help me to have more compassion and patience. All gifts of the program, all gifts that come with being sober and working the steps and listening. I listened a lot. Listen, listen, listen. Thank you. I will wrap up. Um, So thank you for everybody who is on the line. And thank you for all of your sharing and your faithfulness to this program because being in this program has changed my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Felicia D. And we are on page 105, starting with our loyalty and the desire and reading through four paragraphs that end with melted like snow in June. If you could say your name once, um, who would like to share? Lisa B. Nessa R. Melissa C. Nessa R. Melissa C. Lynn S. Lynn S. Lisa J.R. Lisa J.R. Katie F. Uh, Katie F. And I think I heard a Roz after that. So let's go with this group. Yeah, Roz R. Roz R. Got it. Thanks. Okay, Lisa B., Nessa R., Melissa C., Lynn S. So Lisa B., start us off. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And this is the first time I'm really studying this chapter, and I'm so excited. I really am. I'm loving it. The line that speaks out for me, if on the other hand they took nothing, their self-pity made them kill joys. And the definition of self-pity, oh boy, excessive, self-absorbed, unhappiness over one's own troubles. And I always love to look up what the opposite meaning of a word is, and guess what the opposite meaning of self-pity is? Joy. Oh, 
That's amazing. You know, it says it made them killjoys. I used to do that. When my husband would have his family over, I would go in the bedroom with my freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and eat them and feel sorry for myself and not want to be around his family. And I was so absorbed in myself. I did that for years and years and years. And, you know, come to think of it, I started that behavior as a young child. I was convinced that if you were me, you would feel this way too. And I was thinking about the forward to the second edition, and it talks about the mushrooming growth of this wonderful fellowship, well, AA they're referring to, but the use of this big book, this chip of a book. And they're saying that the reason that this program grew so much is there's two principal reasons, the large number of recoveries and the reunited homes. So today, I am a different person because I have had that spiritual awakening and that personality change that to me is so dramatic. And every now and then in my self-centeredness and my self-absorption, I want to go up to my husband and tap him on the shoulder and say, so do you see the big changes in me, you know? I want him to, to to verify. And I see it in his facial expressions. I see it in his behavior. I feel it in our marriage, and I feel it in our family relations. And it's been wonderful to be able to make those direct amends verbally to him and the living amends. But it's not me. It's this higher power through me, you know, that living of the steps. And I'm sure that if I were not recovered and I were listening to me, Right now, I would like probably turn, I always call it, turn the radio off, turn the phone off, because it just sounds so um, cotton candy sweet and everything, but it is so true. It is so true. My sponsor in AA used to always tell me when we make amends, it means we're ready to change. We need to change. And I could never change. I needed to get entirely abstinent, address my food compulsion and illness, and go through these steps clean and sober. And it's amazing what's happened. And it's not always like that. It's not always like that, but I have the steps to keep me in a state where I can bring joy and feel joy. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Nessa R., followed by Melissa C. and Lynn S. Go ahead, Nessa. Hi, my name is Nessa R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, Good morning, Vision, for you. That was a beautiful share. Um, You know, I am so happy that we are reading this chapter. Um, I've read it many times, um, most of the time um, from the perspective of the the addict, um, you know, because it helps me see the kind of havoc that I... um, denied for so long, but that I caused in my family, you know, even though we say, well, you know, nobody experiences the consequences except us, right, because of the weight and the, the, health, the health issues and so on. That is not true, because even with the health issues, they inflict pain um, on our loved ones, but I'm also thinking about, you know, the moodiness, the unpredictability of what what mom is going to be like today, the, uh, the yelling, the stomping around, you know, uh, not being present there for, for people when they, when they need me, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I've also read it from the perspective of, of the, um, I don't know what would you call it, the significant other, because I do have qualifiers, other compulsive overeaters in my house who um, are not yet in recovery. And, you know, this shows me that there's really nothing I can do um, to make them see the light any more than there was anything anybody else could have done to make me see the light, you know. 
Um, I was the recipient of, of, of so much frothy emotional appeal, and it didn't work. You know, it didn't work to be told, you know, you're so beautiful. If only you lost weight, you have such beautiful children, you want to live for them, you want to be healthy for them. You know, doctor's warnings, none of that um, pushed me any closer into recovery. It was only when I was in enough pain, when the pain of being in the food became greater than the pain of not being in the food. That's when I became ready um, to sit up and listen. And it's the same for them. It's the same for them. You know, I can, um, I can harp on it. I can say, you know, do what I do. Look how, how good I look. Look what I'm doing. I live a happy life. I live a contented life. You know, you know all that for them would be frothy emotional appeal. All that I can do for them is stay recovered. You know, um, as we say here in this program, attraction rather than promotion. And you know what? It's been uh, almost seven years of my recovery, and nobody has unfortunately taken notice. And, you know, that, that's fine, too. That's fine, too. It doesn't change what I need to do, which is, you know, really measure my food every day, um, work the steps, like my life depend, depends on it, and stay recovered. And that's all that I can do for them, that, of course, and, and pray. And so, you know, this, this, part of, this um, uh, chapter brings this to life in such a beautiful way. It helps me see what I am like, but it also helps me see right. that when it comes to others, thank you, um, all I can do is stay recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ms. R. Next, we'll have Melissa C, Lynn S, Lisa J.R., Katie F, and Roz R. Go ahead, Melissa C. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Julie, for your service. Melissa C. Recovered, postal overeater in New York. And, you know, I'm thinking, um, I think with everyone else, um, I really have not read this chapter. You know, um, this has been one that I've um, ignored, you know, and um, I'm, really, I'm really grateful I'm reading it, and I'm thinking... This would be a really good thing to read before even making amends, you know, that because as I'm reading this, I'm realizing um, there was levels of harm that I caused that I had no idea, you know, because I'm just that self-centered. Um, so, you know, what was coming to me was the talk about, um, you know, socially what we do to our families and how it must have been like to... Um, host me at a gathering, you know, because either you had no ability to predict what kind of food I would consume or what I wasn't eating this week and what I was binging on this week. And, you know, I, I can really have very clear memories of sitting at events, um, not hearing a single word that anybody said because I just needed more of what was on the table. You know, it was like all I could hear was the bread basket and the sneaking, you know, so that I was not available for anybody there. And that must have been extremely uncomfortable for my husband, um, who's a really social guy. You know, and then I think far worse was when I wasn't eating those things because then I was I was moody and I would sit there with a puss on my face and, and you know, and, and demand um, beforehand that he had great compassion for me. Don't you know I'm going to have to sit here and suffer through what you're eating? And, and again, all I could hear was the food that I wasn't eating. You know, it was speaking to me just as loudly, if not louder, when I wasn't eating it. And, um, you know, and I can, I can go there with my troubles as well. You know, I can 
in self-pity, if I go, you know, if I'm consumed with me, forget food, if I'm consumed with my own personal problem um, and I go someplace, either I'm going to ignore it and, and I'm going to be like, you know, overly exuberant and, and overly happy or making everybody listen to my problems or sit there pouty, you know, and, and um, thank God I really... I really don't live that way today. When when something comes up, I I have a process by which I can live. And um, thank you for that all that. Thank you, Melissa C. Lynn S. followed by Lisa J R and Katie S. Go ahead, Lynn S. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. When we were reading this. I had such a flashback. It was like I was doing a fourth step. It was exactly like a fourth step because all these things they were talking about, begged and being patient, struck out viciously, run away, we've been hysterical, terror-stricken, um, all these things, you know, the next day, like our home was a battleground, we kissed and made up. This was all the stuff that I ranted and railed about my mother, you know, this is what she's doing to me. Look what she's doing to me. I can't stand being here. I can't stand being around here. You know, she's driving me nuts with all this stuff. And then to see it, to have it instantly flipped around and see this from her perspective and what it was like living with me, it just, it's really hitting home right now. You know, my, I, I know my mother told innumerable lies to my aunts and the rest of the family on what was happening and, and you know, trying to protect her own pride and, and my reputation that she didn't have the daughter that was a misfit that, you know, of course I was 140 pounds heavier, so physically I was a misfit already. But it's the emotional stuff, the not fitting in emotionally, the not being able to be like other kids, to be like, you know, to, to have the child that wasn't like anybody else's. Um, I'm talking emotionally now, not just physically. And how they had struck out viciously. I can remember her standing there screaming at me things, but not because she hated me or she's trying to be vindictive, but because she was so afraid for me, so concerned for me. I can see that now. I couldn't see it then. And the retaliation that went on. I'm laughing now, but not in funny, just in, in, it's like I'm watching a movie of my life at home with my parents growing up, and I just, um, I am so grateful, and that, that, I think the biggest thing I can think about my mom, and I guess about my dad, too, is that hoping, always hoping, I can remember she always said to me, I just want you to be happy, and I'd fire back, don't you think I do, if I knew how to be happy, I would, and um, boy, how life has changed. That's all I can say. I am so grateful that we are reading these chapters. I am so grateful that I can see it from another point of view now and to be, to know what I put my parents through and to be grateful, you know, that they never gave up on me and that they always kept trying. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lynette. Next is Lisa J.R. followed by Katie F. and Roz R. Go ahead, Lisa J.R. Good morning, everybody, and thank you, uh, moderator, and everybody on this meeting. I'm Lisa J.R., gratefully recovered by God's grace and mercy for today. Um, love that you guys, I'll echo that you guys are uh, doing this, this 
uh, these other chapters, these hidden chapters in the book. They're so precious to me because, for one, I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, and for, for the secondly, even so, they teach me about relating to other people in such a deep and profound way if I really dig into them. You know, um, for me, I managed my illness as best I could until I got married in my late 40s. And then, boy, the poop hit the fan. Um, my husband had his own problems, and we were both circling the drain when we got married. Um, and uh, my illness got kicked into hyperdrive because, you know, I, living with somebody was very challenging for me. Um, if the the curses and the promises of the disease are on page 52 in those bedevilments, these are some of the promises to the partners and the spouses the, the, that these paragraphs, these are the, their bedevilments, you know, the, uh, not the isolation that we go into, the not having friends. Um, wow. You know, our house got to be a very lonely, empty house um, towards the end of, of my illness. And boy, did my husband hope, always hope. Um, he didn't really know what he was dealing with. Uh, if I ate, I was angry, uh, furious, um, just lashing out all the time. He was on the end of a yo-yo string, didn't know what he was going to get when I walked in the door. Um, and because I was never either morbidly, super morbidly obese or terribly, terribly thin, he never really could wrap his brain around the fact that this illness was killing me, uh, just as it was, um, you know, the people on the uh, channel that he, he watches the show um, on some net cable network about 600-pound people, and he couldn't understand how my disease related to their disease. Um, but And he's still having a hard time, but nonetheless, he knows I'm in recovery, and he has seen the fruit of my recovery, thank God. Um, I will say the money part, that last little paragraph was huge um, for us because um, finances, my disease, I totally threw my finances out the window. I heard, I heard once that a, a guy was talking about driving through life in an empty station wagon and always throwing all of his bills and all of his IRS stuff in the back. And, and finally, when he hit that okay, thanks, I'll wrap up. When he hit that brick wall, they all buried him at one time, and that was me. Um, just, boy, it's been a, it's, I've had to take a shovel and dig out, but it's been a long uh, walk, and thank you all every day for helping me do it. I'll pass. Thank you, Lisa J.R. Next, we have Katie F. followed by Roz R. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning, this is Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I think that um, I'm really happy we're studying these chapters. I, I'm sure I've read it before, but um, I think it's just brilliant that it passed. It's right after working with others because, you know, we're kind of on a high at the end of working the 12 steps that, you know, okay, now I'm available, I'm recovered, I'm working with others. And then, you know, this is like a, a splash of cold water of the reality of how my disease affects those around me and that I'm not the only one that's affected if I just say, well, 
you know, I need to go back out there a little longer and, and, you know, it'll be okay. I'll just jump right back on and I'll be fine. You know, I just need to just, you know, take the pressure off a little and, 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 uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll get back on. And, you know, the reality is, is that this, this, uh, disease affects everyone. And the, um, the part that sticks out to me this morning is, um, the checking account melted like snow in June. And, you know, I was always broke when I was in my disease. I would go out to eat um, way more than necessary, way more than just for birthdays and, and celebrations. And I would um, convince people that I would pay with my credit card and then they would give me cash. And then of course I would spend the cash on more food and then the bill would come and I wouldn't have any money. So I was always cash poor. Um, and that was, you know, 31 years ago before um, I was married and have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars available to me now um, as credit. Uh, that was before, you know, they gave you credit cards with a $20,000 limit. And, you know, <laughs> it would be disastrous if I went back out now. Um, the amount of money that I could spend would be um, just unbelievable. And you know, to think that that's only affecting me and not my husband and children is just insane. You know, it's insane to think that this is just my problem. Um, it affects everyone. And I am so grateful that, you know, I've learned to weigh and measure everything, that I weigh and measure my finances the same way I weigh and measure my food. You know, I enjoy my food, the food that is um, in the cup and on the scale, and I don't pick, you know, <laughs> Brussels sprouts because I don't like them, but I do eat all my vegetables and I do eat things that I like. And it's the same way with my finances. Um, I have money to spend, but I don't overspend. And I'm just grateful that, um, you know, this is, this can seem like such a uh, self-centered program in a way that we're only always worried about taking care of ourselves and getting us recovered and all of that. But really, it affects everyone. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, KDS. And Roz R., you're next. Star um, one to unmute, Roz. Oh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Am, can I? Okay, thank you. Hi, this is Roz R. from Florida. Um, yeah, the line that really stuck out to me is um, when we were invited out, our husbands sneaked so many drinks that they spoiled the occasion. The thing that popped into my mind, um, we had a trip planned to Hawaii, and um, my husband had learned from the past that when I told him that I was not in a good space to do something or to travel, mostly, it was all the time, it was because I was into the food. And this one time, he was not willing to cancel this trip. And it was a disaster. Um, it was like, it wasn't that I binged or ate on the trip, but I went in a state of um, unconsciousness of from, from the food that I had been eating and from the, the way I had been living. Um, unfortunately, I hear a lot of people on the line who survived their marriages. Mine did not survive. We are friends today. But what I put him through, um, he was very patient and very self-sacrificing. I'm reading this line, you know, he's been selfish and self-sacrificing, told innumerable lies to protect the pride um, of our husbands. 
uh, we had a business together, and there were many times I couldn't show up for appointments. I was just in bed, intoxicated from, you know, too much eating, and he did lie for me, and he did um, make up excuses. And I put him through, you know, hell. And, and the problem um, was when I first came into program, and it was a long time ago, um, we didn't study the steps like, like we do here. And um, I looked at him as the problem. And the first thing I did after being in program six months was I filed for divorce. I mean, since then, I've learned a lot um, and I am recovered today. But the marriage, um, you know, did not survive that. And it wasn't simply because uh, that he wasn't the right person. It was because, you know, I did not have a program of recovery. Um, I did not work on myself. Um, but we are friends today, and I've made amends, and he's made amends. But those of you on the line who are still married and are not in recovery, um, you know, it's amazing when you get and you work these steps. The changes that can take place in you, then that can change, that can change, that can make changes or bring changes in your relationships. So you know, get in there and work these steps, and you know, you'd be amazed at what can happen. I, I now have to work it in my life as a single person. Um, but uh, it is what it is, and I'm grateful that I've gotten what I've gotten when I got it and have made, you know, made peace with the past. But anyway, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Razar. And I'd like to remind everybody that we're on page 105, starting with our loyalty and the desire, ending after four paragraphs, uh, melted like snow in June. And who would like to share? Katie G. from Boston. Ginger C. Kelly S. Harlan Ginger C. Ginger C. Kelly S. Raquel. Okay, let's start with. This. Oh, more. I'll get you in there. All right. So, Katie G. Ginger C. Kelly S. Kelly G. I mean, Katie G. Go ahead. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. Katie G. Recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. And I'm thinking about the countless vain attempts. I'll list it on page, I can't even read because there's so much writing, 31. Here are some of the methods we have tried, you know, all the ways in which I tried to control and enjoy my food and looking at all the ways that people have tried to control <laughs> or people have tried to enjoy being in relationship with me um, and my unpredictability and um, the, all the unlearning that I get to do today. Um, you know, I grew up in an environment in which it was very normal to have battlegrounds at night and in the morning <clears throat> act like nothing happened. Um, and, you know, the unlearning that I get to do as a recovered woman that um, it's actually better to keep my mouth shut than to say unkind things. Um, you know, when we do have social engagements, I've shared before that, um, you know, I used to pray that I would have this big, beautiful family because I had a really small family, and God has blessed me with a big, beautiful family, and you'd think I was, you know, completely burdened by them all the time. Um, you know, my husband is a very so social man, and, um, you know, I to demand, my selfishness of demanding that he, you know, not be social all the time, um, that's my disease. And again, like, everybody's been so beautifully saying, like, if you don't believe that your compulsive overeating, if you're like me, is affecting other people, look at all the ways um, people have tried to, to get through to me um, and how hard-hearted I've been and how um, not compassionate I am. And today as a recovered woman, 
in a um, blessed new marriage, like how, how, what a privilege it is to work these steps each and every day to think about somebody else, to not be selfish, self-centered, dishonest, and afraid, um, you know, and there have been times, um, you know, the progress that I've seen in my marriage is that my husband can now look at me and say to me, you know, um, when you say that, you make me feel like uh, I'm doing nothing in the house. And, you know, if that doesn't sound like progress, it really is because that the fact that he can start to trust me and know that I'm not going to strike out viciously when he gives me feedback, you know, that's, pro unfortunately, that's progress. And, you know, we continue to strive towards that each and every day. Um, and God willing, you know, um, I can become, somebody's unmuted and doing dishes, um, I can become a woman of honor, dignity, and grace, but I have to practice entire abstinence. And again, you know, in a previous chapter, it said people are not to change their lives for us. And like, as a recovered woman today, how am I asking my husband to change his life for me? How am I asking his family to change his life for me? That's not what we do today. We can go anywhere when we have this God that is greater than ourselves, This when we are tethered to this power. Um, so what a privilege that we get to show up and learn for one more day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Ginger C is next, followed by Kelly S. and then Harlan. Go ahead, Ginger C. Hi, good morning, Julie. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado, and thank you so much for your service this morning. And I'm just having so much gratitude in my heart because, um, you know, this is really the flip side. This is the person's that are eating greatly affected. And obviously my family, uh, like most of us, those people closest to us were the most affected. And I'm so grateful that my husband didn't do frothy emotional appeal. He saw that obviously I was in great pain and he saw the reality because he lived with me, but he didn't get on top of me. And, um, you know, one of my favorite teachers often says, leave them alone. Because the best thing for them to do is to keep eating those bites that will hopefully convince them head to heart. Because if I didn't get step one 100%, and I never did, I was going to figure out how to have my cake and eat it too in a way. I was not going to give up the food. I did so many realms. I remember the sugar-free diet. You know, and I'm just so grateful that he just allowed me to eat. Because that's what happened is I ate and I ate and I ate and I finally got afraid. And I finally woke up to the reality that this is life or death. And which door am I going to choose? So the other thing I just quickly want to say is I love the sentence, we have run away. Just like they did, I did too as the addict. I have been running my whole life. And to finally stop now and be no longer spiritually maladjusted to this thing called life because of this power that I've tapped into, it's unbelievable. Because not only do I go through life now, I'm growing. I'm growing with this God, and I'm understanding that life is happening for me, not to me. And that if I stay fit spiritually and I just keep on the spiritual beam and keep practicing a day at a time, life takes on new meaning, huge meaning. And mainly that I think more of you than I think of me. And that's unbelievable as a selfish, self-centered person. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. And Kelly S. is next, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for your service. This is Kelly S. Recovered in Oklahoma. Um, 
I wanted to share on this, just like everybody else has said, and I've shared this in the past. Um, I just seriously did not think that my disease affected anybody. I mean, I grew up around AA since I was 16, but, you know, my eating, seriously, guys, how did that bother anybody? But, you know, what I didn't get until about five years ago when I started listening to this meeting and studying this book. Um, I have a spiritual malady, you know. This chapter right here, what I think about is this is what it was like living with me in the bedevilments. So, yes, I have to put the food down 100%. But I'm going to tell you guys, in my 30-something years of OA, I've done that before. And guess what? I lived in the bedevilments. So my family still lived with this. You know, my emotional natures, you know, it talks about, you know, on page 52, I'm never good at quoting a book, but, um, you know, having problems with my relationships, my emotional nature was crazy. Um, you know, I was uh, miserable and depressed. You know, I expected everybody to cater to my new abstinence, you know, and uh, I didn't see these bedevilments. I didn't know I had a spiritual malady. And I'm going to tell you guys the truth. You know, this program is amazing. And for me, the entire psychic change is that, I am a different person. I'm living a different life. But you know what's, what that means to me is I'm willing to see my stuff. I'm willing to see that sometimes I start slipping back into the bedevilments, and then I have to see what's going on. And what does that mean? It means tapping into my higher power and getting busy in these steps and getting busy with service. And in my three and a half years of, um, of recovered abstinence with you guys, uh, that happens. I mean, it tells me in the book when these things crop up, you know. People have lived with me. They walk on eggshells. And in my selfishness and self-centeredness, I was reading through these pages, you know, kind of waiting for my turn. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. When I'm in my disease and I read that, I'm thinking, I thought that when people really loved you, that is what they did for you. You know, my mom did that for me. You know, if you really cared, why wouldn't you walk on eggshells and try to help me and fix me and take care of me? But guess what? The only person who can do that is my higher power. So today I have the food down 100%. I work these steps. I have to start seeing that my behavior is affecting other people, and I get busy. When these things crop up, I now have a way to deal with this stuff. It's not all kumbaya. It is kumbaya sometimes, and I like it. But guess what? I have uh, 55 years of this disease, and it's going to take me a while. But with my higher power and these steps and you guys, I am a different person today. And I'm learning to be an even better different person today. And I'm making living amends and I'm working these steps with you. And I'm so grateful that I'm willing to see my crap now. It's not always easy. It's a lot of a lot, hell of a lot easier than being in my disease. And if I don't do it, I'll be back in the food. And I know that from experience. And I'm so glad today I'm doing it with you guys. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly S. Harlan G. followed by Roquel and then Maura Z. Go ahead, Harlan. Thanks, Julie. Good morning, and thanks for your service, Julie, and thanks to Team Wednesday for making the meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. If all this disease did was make me fat, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. This disease is not just an executioner. It is a terrorist, and it will suck every piece of human dignity from whomever it exists in. My mother and father and I never took a drink of alcohol, never saw them take a drink of alcohol in my life, nor did I. And we lived in a battleground. 
Why were we living in a battleground? Why did we say things to each other that you wouldn't say to your worst enemy? Why did we do things to each other that you wouldn't do to your worst enemy? Because we were confused. We were befuddled. We were ashamed. We were physically and mentally uncomfortable. We were in the throes of an illness that we didn't understand and we didn't even know that we had. We just knew that life wasn't going for us the way it seemed to go for the people on television and the people that we saw around us. Money was an issue. Hostility was an issue. Nightmarish behavior toward one another and toward ourselves was an issue. This disease affects and permeates every cell of existence. Now, here is the beautiful part. We worked the steps. Now, my mother and father never saw me in recovery. They died before I ever walked in the door. But if we work these steps, we can be catapulted into that fourth dimension of existence, and we can have lives of intimate behavior and lives of closeness and lives that are fulfilled that are beyond our wildest dreams because the recovery also permeates every cell of our existence and it makes everything better. There's nothing in my life that an Almond Joy bar can't destroy, but there's nothing in my life that the working of the steps and the spiritual way of life cannot improve. Everything in my life is improved by the working of these steps. Everything without exception. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. And we have about five and a half minutes. So if Raquel and Maura can take about two and a half, that'd be great. Raquel, you're next. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Thank you very much for your service and for this wonderful meeting. Um, this is very painful, a very painful paragraph bringing me back to the past of many years ago. But I really believe that it's kind of a mixed bag. It, it, the, the name of the chapter, I bet you if, if Bill wrote it today, he would call it to spouses. Because there are some things that, that ring the bell of the how the, the spouse is and how the, the addict is. Um, you know, for me, to see that uh, 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 telling numerous lies and, and uh, keeping reputation and so on, it reminds me of something so sad that when I came in 1965 to the States and I was going through and, and teaching there, both of us, my husband and I, I went through a tremendous uh, a time of adjustment to another culture and to translate my skills and my knowledge into a whole different setting of schooling, of, of teaching. And I really neglected myself terribly. And the food was there. Also, it was a big excitement because at that time there wasn't food like that in Israel. And I love cooking and I am a, and, and a Hungarian and to, to add to all the disaster. So baking and cooking and all that. And there was a time that I'm so embarrassed to go back to it, but that was the reality. My husband and I had to come 
to a place uh, from different places to a uh, to a meeting in the uh, in the school, and he told me later that he saw me on the sidewalk, and he didn't come over to me. We met there, but he said I was embarrassed to walk with you. You were so fat and so neglected, and so you know it's pretty awful, but. I think that I needed that in order to survive, and I'm not sorry, you know, that this is how it was. And then the tables turned. He adjusted a little bit too much, and he really wanted to, uh, really got very drunk on becoming wealthy. And then the whole thing turned around, and I needed to be counseled by other people that it's time to pack my bags because this is going, you know, it's not going to uh, be fixed. But I, I also think about Lois, you know, in, in their movie about Bill, how the father is saying to her when he's so drunk and she miscarries and she's in the hospital, and he says to, to her, why don't you leave him? Don't you see he's a bum? And she says, Dad, I see in him things that others don't. And of course he was an incredible man. So the wisdom to know the difference in all these codependent relationships Boy, it's true, like it says in the 24 hours of the alcoholics, only God can can attempt to fix those wires, those very thin wires of relationships. Yes, I, I will stop. The relationships between people, and that I'm, I'm very happy for those who can survive the tremendous upheavals until they learn to, to accept each other and, and make something good out of their that mixed bag of differences and dependency and all. Thank you very much for the beautiful session and for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Raquel. And Maura, you are our last share. Thanks, Jules, for your service. And I am glad we're these chapters. Um, starting my time, start two minutes. Okay. We seldom had friends at our homes, never knowing how or when the men of the house would appear. Well, tables turned, because I was the addict, and we held, seldom had friends at our home because my then-husband was embarrassed. He didn't want anybody to see me. He didn't want to be seen with me. There were many times when I was berated um, about how I was dressed and we were ready to go out. And he would look at me and go, oh, no, you're not wearing that. Because it just, you know, probably accentuated my fat and it wasn't becoming. And I lived with this and I considered it a pity party and I played the victim. I never took responsibility. Oh, I'm fat. Well, I thought you were supposed to love me for good or bad or, you know, happy or sad or sick or whatever. Well, what about all of that stuff? Well, it wasn't just that I was fat. I was an ugly person on the inside. I lived in a state of constant rage and anger and self-pity and victimhood. Who would want to be with this person? I didn't want to be with this person, and I was this person. Grateful today that through the 12 steps and this big book, that I can say my ex-husband and I are dear friends today, and I am living in God's grace 
and proof that these steps work and families can be reunited. Maybe not the way I want them to be, but I am still talking to my sisters. So I'll take that as a little gift. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Jules. Thanks, Maura. It is now time to close our meeting, but the share ID for Wednesday, September 5th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 11,878. Thank you for everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Jen A. please read a, a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Jen A. Recovered in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.